We're hitting you with another episode of Fox and Fallon. This is episode 10. We hit the double digits, Sonia. We did. This is a really, it's a milestone episode. It's the first one we've had so far, so it's a big deal for us. It's, oh. it's number It's number 10. X, we're going to move from Roman numerals after this. Uh, there was someone that <laughs> called us out on Twitter and said, I have no idea why the hell you have your podcast in Roman numerals. Like, because eventually. that's going to be really hard for me to read when it's like <laughs> 1X V. Okay, yeah. Anyways, to stop the confusion for everyone, we're just going to do episode 10, X, like the X. iPhone. And then we're moving on to the all one one next yeah. week. Yeah, there, it's there's not plenty like, of fun in this podcast too. We got a we got we got a TB12 hit coming up and later so in the show. This was a really this is it like a good. Sometimes we struggle putting together our rundown. No, don't don't, don't don't say that no, because no. we don't. No, no, we get that that's TV. That's that's radio. That's how it goes. That's the business. I mean, there's sometimes days where you're like, you know, which what do we really want to talk about? And today it was just like it really. It's not that we have a hard time putting together our rundown. Sometimes. Such as in life, mm-hmm. the times that you try too hard, those are the episodes that aren't really that good. Yeah. I mean, we haven't had a bad episode. Don't no, get me wrong. I'm listen, we're Don't not putting us down. Yeah. Let's move on. We're not self deprecating no, any of us. Yeah, let's not pretend we're self deprecating when we're not. Well, let's just move right into it because we actually did a pretty we did a pretty interesting podcast last week. We had Michael Fabiano on and we talked about the immediate, the immediate reaction to the NFL draft. But it's been one full week since round one, believe it or not. The week has flown by. So we've had one full week to digest the fact that Kyler Murray was drafted first overall to the Arizona Cardinals in what was the most surprising and fully expected pick of all time. It was one of those things where it was like, we knew it was coming, and yet, when the Cardinals did it, somehow it still seemed shocking. It wasn't that shocking, though. It was like, everyone read the tea leaves, it was the rumors before. Clearly, he was going to be the first guy off of the board. And clearly they had no intentions of keeping Josh Rosen. I think there were a lot of conflicting reports. We had talked about that before, whether they were going to keep him, not keep him. But the fact of the matter is that everyone really got it right, that they said he was going to go for a third round pick. And he wound up being the 62nd pick, which is like the third to last in the second round. So now whether or not Arizona got the value that they wanted out of him doesn't really matter because in your opinion, Tanya, the Dolphins got a steal. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like, the part of the surprise of the first round in general was just waiting. It was like, okay, well, they did they did it. They drafted Kyler Murray, and then it was waiting to see what they did to deal Josh Rosen, when they were going to deal him. It's like, all right, are they going to be able to get him out, out in the end of the first round? And they didn't. They weren't able to deal him. And, and part of, there was just something sort of miraculous about the Cardinals being able to have this really touted, highly you know regarded first-round pick come in and still somehow be looked at with this side-eye and skepticism. It's a really rare thing to watch happen in the NFL draft. I just think that the most interesting part about this whole Josh Rosen deal was that, like, why wasn't any other team in on this? Where were the Tampa Bay Bucks? Where was John Gruden? Clearly he couldn't keep his eyes off of the Alabama-Clemson national championship game because <laughs> he drafted, like, every single starting player from those <laughs> both of those lineups in the first round. For well, the, to be fair, he watched that one game. I mean, I mean that we'll talk about that after, but um, for the amount of quality that you get with a quarterback Josh Rosen again he came into a system he had a terrible offensive coordinator that offensive line got him sacked 35 45 times in 13 starts I mean the kid didn't get a chance and the biggest thing for me as we watch Steve Smith absolutely crush him on national television and call him a baby and tell him to go back home or whatever he said that was just completely bogus and out of line there is a pre-draft preconceived notion about Josh Rosen being a diva or Josh Rosen being hard to deal with. 
And apparently, according to his teammates and Larry Fitzgerald, he's not. that's not the case at all. That's the thing that's kind of been blowing everyone's mind is there was a lot of conversation prior to him being drafted last year that that was the case. But then we didn't hear much about him at all it, while in his first season with the Cardinals. He was quiet. I mean, there was a lot of adversity for him on that squad and, and during the time that he started. And like you said, he was not set up for success. He did not perform well. Um, but since then, you know, he's really, it, it's not like he's been causing any drama. And while all of these, you know, people have around the league, Kareem Hunt and Tyree Kill and Frank Clark and all of these domestic violence issues have been popping up, you know, it, it seems sort of bizarre to focus your energies on this nebulous idea that Josh Rosen may or may not be a diva, especially when quarterbacks by nature are divas. I, you know, we, we've talked about this, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers up in Green Bay, both you know, really cocky, almost domineering guys from the very beginning. I mean, believed in themselves before they even had a right to. And, you know, Larry Fitzgerald comes out and says all of these glowing things about Josh Rosen. And Josh Rosen handled himself with such grace and dignity and class in the wake of the things that Steve Smith well, said about him on national television. He didn't have a choice, though. No, he did, but, but, you know, that's, that's a cop-out thing to say because there's a lot of ways, you know, maybe you don't have to come out and be a jerk. But it also, you know, he's getting a lot of good advice and he has, clearly has good people around him because he didn't just ignore it. He didn't just stay quiet. He stayed and, and, and played in that game for Larry Fitzgerald, that celebrity softball game. And he got the standing ovation from the fans. And he, was, he said all the right things about Kyler Murray as he left. He graciously moved on to the Dolphins. I mean, it's, it's harder than it looks to really handle that thing so cleanly in public. And he did that. So... Who knows, you know, there's no way to project how he's going to do in in Miami because obviously we don't have much to go on based off of Arizona. But there's certainly more questions than answers this at this point about what the Cardinals were thinking. Well, the, the fact of the matter is that Josh Rosen realized that he was getting out of an, uh, a no-win situation in Arizona with a new head coach who clearly had favors for his first-round draft. I mean, he had his eye on Kyler Murray a year before you saw that tape where they interviewed right. him and they said, if you were a head coach, you need the first overall pick. Who would you take Kyler Murray? All right. So he knows that there is some favoritism that was going on in that organization. And the fact of the matter is that Josh Rosen is a top 10 quality quarterback. He was a top 10 pick last year and he's going to a situation where he basically has all of the reins and all of the power to do, to change that offense in a division against Tom Brady and learn and play against, you know, quality defenses and he's going to go into the dolphins and make a splash right away. I mean, and decidedly better coaching over in Miami. I am, I'm sure Cliff Kingsbury has all kinds of plans for the Cardinals, yeah. but he's still new and, and, and he's never been in the NFL and him going to basically a bunch of former Patriots coaches, regardless of whether or not they totally work out, there's going to be a lot of smart people in the room with him. A lot of the time, obviously we know Tanya bottom line of the NFL draft. Every single person that is drafted is a complete unknown. Right. At least Josh Rosen has proven himself to some extent. Absolutely. Moving on to the Patriots. Oh Everyone asking God. our opinions about the Patriots draft. Listen, the Patriots did what the Patriots always do. They get quality guys. They trade down for more picks. Listen, Bill Belichick is not opposed to cutting or trading one of his first-round picks. I mean, you've seen that in years past. Richard Seymour, Jamie Collins. But this is a guy that they got in the first round that had you in an absolute fit, Tom. Yeah, they drafted Nikhil Harry, 32nd overall, final pick of the first round out of Arizona State. He's a wide receiver. He's, depending on who you read, because it's very varying, 
uh, somewhere between 6'3 and 6'4 or 6'2 and 3 quarters or whatever. But he's a really big dude. Um, and the, I just, you know, I watch a lot of Arizona State football and he was on my radar. He's been on my radar for a long time now. And they never do, they never draft a guy that I'm like, hey, I'd love if this guy came to the Patriots. It doesn't mean that I don't like who they end up drafting, but it's very hard to have someone on your radar and then have them pick that guy. Never happens. So let's just say that when they <laughs> called his name, I was a little shocked. I mean, props to me, Tanya, for filming this and keeping my mouth shut because <laughs> I was hysterically laughing inside and I I just, I did the right thing, the director's eye. Yeah, you did. Catching you having a complete and utter meltdown. Yeah. In a happy so, way. It was so it was funny so that you funny had the camera though. rolling for that because there was really no indication that like, I mean, the reason that I was so surprised was because the expectation on both of our parts was that they were going to draft some linemen we never heard of or, draft, <laughs> or trade down, you yep. know? So... I, I tweeted about it earlier this week, just talking about, you know, the, the big knock on him right now is his ability to separate. And Michael Fabiano talked about that a bit last week when we had him on. And that's continued to be an issue um, for people who are evaluating the pick this week. The problem with that criticism is that it disregards the fact that big receivers, by nature, big physical, go up, jump ball type receivers aren't. <laughs> they aren't the fastest guys. They don't get the separation. But he's so, physical. But he's big. He's sure-handed. He's a very good route runner, which, again, you don't always get in a 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", guy. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is this is the exact kind of person you want to come in. If you can't replace Gronk at tight end, which, of course, you can't. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, you, you get you go and get a big receiver that can be the guy that Brady can throw those balls to, those back shoulder jump ball type passes in the end zone. And this is the guy to do it. So, you know, uh, all jokes aside about how insane I am, it really is. I'm excited to see what this guy can do. What I loved what Fabiana was saying that, listen, don't get this wrong. They drafted a receiver in the first round. Yeah. He's physical. He's a box out receiver. He's got strong hands. He's a massive presence down the field. He's not going to replace Gronk right away. The fantasy rankings are still going to stay the same. The most important players are Sony Michelle, James White, Julian Edelman. Yeah. And then maybe Nikhil Harry right after that. As we were talking last week and Fabs really agreed, I said, listen, like this just adds another wrinkle to the offense that no one else is going to see. I mean, the Patriots still, they're going to use the same offense and teams are still not going to be able to figure it out, whether they're throwing screens, whether they're running deep routes. I mean, they're always going to come up with something quick. And that's why Josh McDaniels is still the offensive coordinator. Bill Belichick is still the head coach. Tom Brady is still the quarterback. Those three together, yeah, right. that's a trifecta, and they're going to go back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, and you, like you said, if you guys, you know, don't think that Josh McDaniels is going to come up with a way to use Nikhil Harry that no oh, one sees yeah. coming, then you're out of your minds. They do this every time. When was the last time they had a receiver like this? They don't have guys like this. No, they and don't. as soon as you see them go out of the box and do something a little different with their offensive sets, that's when you know you're screwed. You can bet on it. Go to Vegas right now and put as much money as you want on it. There will be a play that with Nikhil Harry that leaves a defense like truly wetting their pants because there's just, they always come up with these things, especially they did it early on with Gronk when they still had Aaron Hernandez and they just sort of changed 
they blew people's minds. It was like, they'd, it was like seeing the wildcat for the first time. Everybody was like, what is going on? I've never seen anything like this. I guarantee you they're going to do some cool stuff with the kill Harry and I'm looking forward to it. All right. So my winner and the loser, I think we both collectively agree on the loser. I don't really think that we need to, uh, Preface this by saying that we know that it's the New York Giants. Yeah, the Giants lost the 2019 draft by a long 20, distance. 2019, 2020. <laughs> I mean, this is a team that planned on rebuilding last year, stockpiled draft picks, and then wasted their first round pick on on Daniel Jones, of all people. <laughs> Basically, what, the, what Dave Gettleman did, not only did he draft one of the worst quarterbacks in the first round of the draft, but basically, when they went to go upgrade their positions on players they lost, they got a significant downgrade in quality and in talent. And it has every single New York sports fan screaming at the top of their lungs. Yeah, I mean, the Daniel Jones pick is obviously the it's the most egregious, just purely because there were oh only three. Oh, my God. It's just, they're the laughing were, stock. Yeah, and there were only three quarterbacks drafted in the first round of this year. It was Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, who everyone knew Washington was going to take. And then, you know, Gettleman's out there trying to defend the pick, saying, oh, the Broncos would have taken them, and the Redskins would have taken him, and we had to take him at six. Well, the Broncos have denied that. The Redskins have obviously denied it because they were never even in the mix to get him in the first place. Him going to – Haskins going to Washington was one of the bona fide, like, everybody knew it was coming. So not only did they draft this quarterback, but they drafted him with the sixth overall pick when no one else was going to take him even before the second round. That's the kind of the craziest part about it. And the other thing that cracks me up, and this is kind of, this is not a football thing, but it's hilarious, is that he's the goofiest looking dude on planet Earth. And I can't <laughs> he's believe he'll fit right in with Eli Manningface. Drafted a guy who's going to be able to carry on the legacy of Manningface. So there was this tweet that of someone who posted a picture of him and it said, he looks like the guy. So Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones looks like the guy who they cast to play to Eli Manning yes, yes, in a I movie saw that. about Peyton Manning's life. It's, that's just that's the perfect microcosm for what's going on in the organization. Right. I think that's even more sad is the fact that Dave Gettleman basically said that they're drafting a quarterback to sit behind Eli Manning for the next two, three years. Tanya, that yeah. guy could barely even throw a pass five yards last season. I mean, that's got to be the scariest thing for a New York Giants fan. Knowing that he's going to be tutoring under Eli, and when they're screaming his name to replace him and booing them at MetLife Stadium, it's just going to be an ugly, ugly scene. The the crazy part is that there were actually a lot of teams who normally don't do well in the draft who kind of killed it, and uh, one of those teams is the Dolphins. and And I'm going to base that purely they're they're my winner of the draft, and I'm basing it, of course, very largely. They did very well in the draft otherwise, but. The big thing is trading for Josh Rosen. They gave Arizona the 62nd pick in the draft. So it was at the end of the second round. They got, they gave him a fifth rounder next year, and they got who could ostensibly be their quarterback of the future. Yeah. A guy who was a first top 10 pick last year. Essentially, you got they got a redo on getting a first round quarterback. And the crazy part is they don't didn't even have to give up the kind of collateral for him that would make them have to stay loyal to him in the future. So what's going to happen is they can test out the waters. They can see how everything goes in 2019, 2020. If they're clearly not working, if it's clearly not clicking, no one would even fault them if they went out and drafted another quarterback because they didn't have to spend any first-round quarterback capital to get him. It was yep. genius. Yep, yep. It was genius. It's the anti-Ryan Tannehill deal. A few years ago, Jeff Ireland, one of his last drafts as a GM of the Dolphins, we all know what happened with Tannehill thereafter. 
However, they had to stick with that guy because they gave so much draft capital exactly. for that. And now they got a top 10 pick with with a, like a second and a third round pick. I mean, it's perfect for them. It's amazing. You know, it's they're set up, hopefully. I mean, I've always rooted for the Dolphins. I worked in Miami for a while. I hope that this works out for them. I hope Josh Rosen is happy down there because they deserve something good to happen, but they're still not going to dethrone the Patriots. Um, my My winner has to be the Seahawks. Now, I know that you know in years past we've had our we've had our opinions about Pete Carroll, but his general manager John Schneider continues to put players on the field, a top caliber defense, dismantling the Legion of Boom. They had four picks and Frank Clark and turned it into ten players for yeah. the 2019 draft, it including was fantastic, including Mr. Muscles DK Metcalf. <laughs> And I don't know if anyone's seen the video of, they released the video of when DK Metcalf came in to see the Seahawks at the draft and he didn't have a shirt on and Pete Carroll stood up at the table and took his shirt off. I I really think that they got some top quality talent in the draft. And being able to spin very few draft picks and more than doubling them, that's a quality that the Patriots have done, that the Rams did this year. There were a number, it was about 40 trades this year, in this year's draft. That's what smart GMs do. They're going to have to figure out what they're doing in Ed Rusher. But, I mean, they got a lot of top defensive talent in that draft. Yeah, they retooled on a lot in a lot of positions. Um, I think they it almost feels like they drafted one player for every position on the defense. Um, so, you know, it's like, and great, you know. Um, Russell Wilson is always, that's the curse and the blessing of being Russell Wilson is that he's always going to carry them to a winning season some way, shape, yeah. or form, no matter who's around him on offense. I would like to see their offensive line get better, um, but I understand defense. They are a team that has done very well defensively, and they did get a big, muscly, fast dude in DK Metcalf, who's probably going to, regardless of whether, I know Fabiano thinks he could only get maybe 20 or 30 catches next year um, because of the way that the Seahawks' offense operates, but, you know, they're going to be impressive, big plays, and so you're right. I mean, John Schneider's absolutely turned, he turned, silver into gold with that draft. And it's not easy, you know, I think sometimes, especially when you cover the Patriots for as long as we have, it seems easier than it is when you watch Bill Belichick trade up and down and turn two picks into five overnight. But it's not. And there are very few GMs in the league that are capable of doing what he did. And it was smart of you to choose them because the Seahawks are not a team that's struggled over the last couple of years. They've still been pretty good compared to some of these low-end teams. Like the Dolphins and the Browns and these teams that have been like, the Seahawks have been to Super Bowls in the last, you know, seven years. Like these guys, you know, they don't seem like the kind of team that really needed a good draft, but they did and they killed it. And that's why they are the team they are. Moving on to some NBA playoffs. Tanya, we got three of the four series knotted up in one piece. Yes. Including the Celtics and the Bucks. And listen, Tanya, you were under the notion that Kyrie was going to be unstoppable you knew that there was some end to his perfect playoff percentages. I had a feeling the Bucs were going to do a number on him defensively, and that's exactly what they did in Game 2. He was never in his rhythm. He was flustered by everything that they were doing, double-teaming him, pushing him out of the lane. He wasn't able to drive. What he should have done was to dish out to his teammates who were open. But, I mean, listen, you're going to have those type of games. The Celtics were getting blown out regardless. 39 to 18 in the third quarter, it was over. Like you said, there's no way you're going to get through a series like this against a team that that was that good in the regular season and just blow them out like top to bottom. It wasn't going to be a sweep. This is going to be a six or seven game series regardless. Um, First of all, you know, Kyrie did have an off night. Those happen. And Chris Middleton shot like 75% from three point. And 
These are yeah. those are, if when those two things happen on the same night, you're not going to win the game. What I did like was that Kyrie was really he took a lot of the blame after the game, and that's really what you want to see from him. I mean, he had the he had the quote of the night. He said, "This is what I signed up for. This is what Boston traded me for. It's not an extra burden." Good right. for him for earning up to that. And, he's, and the thing is, he's like he has all the confidence in the world that Game Three comes back around, and he's going to be able to do exactly what he does. And by winning one in Milwaukee in Game One. They were able to take their Milwaukee's home court advantage away from them. And that is a massive deal in any playoff series, NBA and NHL, when you're able to win one on the road. No one won a single game on the road last year in the NBA playoffs. So just that itself was a massive uh, leg up. And they're going to go back to Boston. They're going to (laughs) win. Like, that's just going to happen. So I like his attitude. It wasn't cocky. It wasn't, it was just like, why would, why am I here if I can't come through in these games? So you know what? Like they gave it their best shot. They got us in this one. But like come back to Boston and do it again, I dare you. Yeah. I like that mentality. No, 100%. And listen, in game 3, Al Horford has to step his game up because a lot of what the what the Bucks were doing, they were forcing them to make to make shots, miss shots, and then they were running a fast break so Horford couldn't get back on defense. Right. I mean, Al Horford needs to needs to be blocking the lane. And stopping Giannis and getting physical. I mean, the Celtics are going to completely change their whole game plan now. I exactly come back to Boston and do it again. I dare you. It won't happen. It's it, Celtics seventy sixers. It's so hard to not root for that. God, I want it so bad. <sighs> I know, but I think the Raptors are going to pull this one out. Yeah, I know. Kawhi Leonard is too good. Yeah, I mean, and seeing Kawhi and Kyrie up against each other is going to be sick too. It's just there's just something really epic about the the rivalry between two really young teams in the Celtics and Sixers, and that would be cool. But I uh, agreed. Kawhi's been playing on a different level in this playoffs. Um, He's kind of come into his own. Like there was, it it felt like maybe the Raptors weren't going to do much there for a second. And all of a sudden he came roaring back and reminded us, Hey, wait a second. You remember me with Spurs, right? Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Thanks. Your weird laugh had me distracted for a hot minute, (laughs) but now I'm back in reality. Well, the Lakers are not really. (laughs) Speaking of a team that doesn't have leadership. Yeah. Speaking of a team that's not feeling well all year round. No one is working for the... Who works for the Lakers? So, I mean, clearly <laughs> Magic Johnson is still recruiting players to come to the Lakers, even though he doesn't work there. However, um, you knew that this was going to happen, Tanya. Ty Lu, LeBron James, the love affair. <laughs> Continues. I, I mean, but listen, like, on all accounts, Ty Lu is going to get the job with the Lakers. Now... It's interesting that LeBron came out and said that he's sensitive to the fact that people are saying that behind the scenes, he's controlling things. Smokescreen much? Was that a little NFL draft smokescreen? Because clearly we know that maybe the front office was like, hey, LeBron, everyone knows that we're going to hire Ty Lue, but why don't you just come out and say like, hey, this is all in my hands. I'm not always in control of things. Well, they're not, that's not, I mean, the report was just that they are afraid of LeBron looking like he's in charge. Yeah, because he is. I mean, well, but I mean, the idea, so basically what happened is that The Athletic reported that the Lakers are really high on Ty Lue and he is their number one choice, but they are afraid that if they hire Ty Lue, it's going to look like LeBron is pulling the strings, which is, Really funny because, of course, that's what it's going to look yeah. like because that's exactly what it is. The fact that Ty Lue, I mean, there's only so many candidates. It looks like Monty Williams wants to go to the Suns. So, it, like, let's not act like you have a gajillion options, right? Like, yeah. All right, so, Tanya, if the Suns are really high on Monty Williams and he's kind of understanding that's probably a better place for him, like, de facto, Ty Lue is the head coach. Yeah, I mean, you, I, it's, it's like, the perfect point. I, that There is... 
So it's all well and good that the Lakers want to try to exert some sort of control and say, and like take back the team or whatever from LeBron. But in some ways, what the best thing that Dan Gilbert ever did was just cede control to LeBron because what'd they get out of it? A championship. They, yeah, they got a championship, but he also created a monster. I mean, that's fine. And if they want to go no back different in time than anything and get else mad at Dan league. Gilbert, like yeah. that's fine. But at the end of the day, like they got a championship out of it. And if if he could do it in Cleveland, LeBron can do it in Los Angeles. I am not convinced that LeBron's done winning as long as he's able to get the right pieces around him. I if, agree. If it's Ty Lue and whoever the hell he wants, then give him Ty Lue and whoever the hell he wants because you're supposed to be title town and you haven't done anything for a decade. Well, Ice Cube's first choice for head coach of the Lakers is Ty Lue. No, oh, well that's nice. I didn't even know I didn't even know he was a Lakers fan. Um Whatever Ice Cube says, yeah, it's I gonna mean, be. If 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 Ty, <laughs> I'll tell you this, Tanya. If Ty Lue becomes the head coach of the Lakers, it's gonna be a good day. He's <laughs> gonna be so excited. No, it's gonna be. Do you do you get that? Yeah, yeah I didn't. Today have was to, a good day. I didn't have to use my AK. Yes. <laughs> uh, Fucked around and got a triple double. <laughs> All right. Speaking of LA, this is our favorite story of the day. Yeah. I mean, Mr. TV Twelve is in Los Angeles right now, throwing passes to UCLA kids on the campus yesterday. I mean. I just love the headlines of the story that I'm looking at. I'm like, hey, yeah, I, I noticed that Tom Brady's in L.A. Every single headline out of Boston is like, Tom Brady throwing passes to UCLA Bruins. Mind you that 23 years ago, his first pass as a freshman at, <laughs> at Michigan was an interception to a linebacker like, on the Bruins. Who has ever in their life cared I about mean, that? I mean, but like, why is that? Like, I don't even think Brady remembered that. You know no. what I mean? Like, I don't... It's just it's just funny how people spin this. I find it interesting that, you know, new social media Tom Brady is now able to go out and show that he's working in the offseason, even though everyone thinks he's gallivanting around a movie premiere. No, Isn't the Met Gala? Yeah, no, he was in... It was at Boston College last week throwing under underthrown balls to Julian he Edelman. Also, I mean, those photos of him... So there's photos of him throwing with these UCLA receivers and Westwood, and he's... First of all, he looks absolutely incredible. Like, right. He's standing next Listen. to he. Hold on, he's standing next to college players. <sighs> There's like there, you know, photo of them all together. And I swear, I swear to God, I kid you not. If you didn't know who he was, it would be hard to figure out which one the college kid. Was. I hate he it. looks. His tan is on point. His haircut's on point. He's slim and fit and just looking good. And I have. Listen, you know I don't Whoa, always. Whoa! Sounds, always get sounds on, like you're oodling over I know, here. I don't always get on the Tom Brady's hot bandwagon. Like I know he's no, like, I, mean, I, I know he's objectively agree. attractive, but he feels like a big brother to me at this point. Like I don't, I'm not like, oh my god, he's so handsome. You know, like that's not my my sports crush, but he just looks great. Yeah, no, he looks he looks fantastic. Yeah. Petey Petey Swiss hooked him up with a a dope haircut. Yeah, he looks <laughs> ten years younger, yeah. and. I mean, what's the real reason that Tom Brady's in L.A.? I don't know. I mean, his niece is, you know, going on a scholarship to UCLA next year. Might Maybe he was showing her around yeah. the campus. Who maybe cares? he was meeting the athletic director. But really, listen, yeah. Tom Brady's a movie star. And, He's a beautiful movie star. He is. Tom Brady's a movie star. And, of course, he had to hook up with Jimmy Kimmel and Matt Damon out in Los Angeles. Yeah. One of his biggest fans. That's the best part about Matt Damon is he's, like, sort of, like, openly in love and, and homerific about Tom and... And obviously Jimmy Kimmel the- and Matt Damon are BFF. So like they had their little thing at the, at Jimmy Kimmel live and they did their little show together. And then you naturally they had to hit up 
you know, a local swanky restaurant after yeah, the show. Okay. Local swanky restaurant. I'm the foodie over here. I've actually never heard of this place. Yazawa Barbecue in uh, Beverly Hills. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I don't, I, I do, I do, we do like the straight up omakase. I don't do like the Korean barbecue kind of style. I don't know if you should be really, I feel like. I feel like I understand what you're saying, but Jimmy Kimmel is like king of LA. Okay, like I he's mean, one listen, of crappy spot. I'm not doubting Jimmy yeah. Kimmel, but yeah. the the photos from this, you know, from this secret dinner of the three of them, got me thinking, Tanya. Like, what were they eating? Well, sashimi. Yeah. Like, definitely not rice. Like, <laughs> no rice. There's definitely no rice. Already, yeah. No sake. So the bill definitely wasn't that big. It's probably like like you know two hundred bucks for the three of them. I was trying to think. I know Tom Brady like rarely drinks, and when he does, it's very minimally. And I think Jimmy Kimmel. I don't know if I'm making this up, but I feel like he's sober. Yeah. So unless oh, Matt Damon Sarah, was like Sarah Silverman follow up. No, 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 no. I just I I mean he lost a bunch of weed and like I don't I for some whatever reason it's just like I I I don't know if that's the case, but. Chris like loves Jimmy Kimmel, so I get all these little nuggets about his life from him. I think, I think he's, he's funny. So Matt Damon could be like you know guzzling sake on his own but I mean I don't you know I like listen I'm the kind of person who would drink sake on my own at dinner like I don't sake care sake and wine just just ends up as a bad night for me oh but that's it just it just starts to spiral out of control yeah I mean there's definitely way too much carbs and sake for Tom Brady right? all right like, but like Tanya do you think they did like credit card roulette like who picked up the bill um I yeah so like Tom is Tom the richest of the Tom family? is definitely the okay. richest. Okay. I mean, like if you put Jay Leno in this conversation, then it would be completely different. Yeah, right. Although I do know that like those I mean, I know that like Jimmy Fallon, like they make like twelve, fourteen, sixteen million dollars a year. Yeah, I mean their contracts are their really contracts really are ridiculous. And then he but, has like different endorsements and things like that. But I think you're right. Uh, like Tom Brady's earned over he's yeah. earned over two hundred yeah. million dollars in Plus his and, and then you have to take into account that his wife is uh is rich herself. So they've got quite a combined bank account. All right, so I so we're coming to the conclusion that Brady picked up the check. I think Brady picked up the tab because you kind of take like Jimmy Kimmel and Matt Damon as a pair, you know, like yeah. you're taking like your little buddies out to dinner. For sure. And they, and they definitely were like, hey, let me Venmo you. Let me yeah. Do next time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely still. Do you remember the skit? Speaking of, of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, I'm surprised that Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck's just gone off completely off the radar. No, he's I, drinking his Dunkin' Donuts. No, I mean, but listen, no, but do you remember the, like the whole skit that was like, I am the locker room guy with the whole deflate gate thing. And, no. and what? How do you not remember? They did this whole sketch after deflate gate and they were saying like, Oh, you know well, The locker room guys got to step forward. You know, they didn't have the name John Jastrzemski yet. So, so all of a sudden they're like, yeah, you know, I heard like the, I, we found the locker room guys and it's Matt Damon coming in. He's like, I am the locker room guy, Tom. I'm sorry. I deflated <laughs> the balls. And then Ben Affleck steps forward. And he goes, no, Matt, stop it. I am the locker room guy. <laughs> so it was like two of Boston's biggest homers, Goodwill hunting, stepping forward and taking the blame for for the Deflategate scandal and saying that, you know, they're to blame. Don't blame Tom for anything. The only way that gets better is if they find a way to get Mark Wahlberg in there too. And I'm the no, I'm pretty, sure, I'm pretty sure Mark Wahlberg was really? in there too. No way. How have you not seen this? Everyone know. go Google. I am the locker room guy right now. It's one of the funniest guys. I'm definitely going to do it too. So, you know, Tom Brady, Patriots, they're always, that's the way I always get my most attention on Twitter. For whatever reason, it's probably oh, yeah, my you went viral so yesterday. But in our segment, Give Me More, Go Away, this week, I have to say, it's almost a little bit of both, but I'm going to go with Go Away, to LA sports fans being mad at me for being a Boston fan. I now, know. this is a specific... That comes with the territory. No, but this is a specific thing 
that a lot of people have been relating to on Twitter. It's not just me. I tweeted uh, a joke about how every LA sports fan, when I tell them I'm a Patriots fan, they're like, ew. And I just explained, hey, I'm, I'm from there. I'm a fan of all Boston teams. And so I did an impression of their response, which is, well, I'm from insert lame place here, but my dad lived in New York till he was seven, so I root for the Yankees, Cowboys, Lakers, <laughs> Steph Curry, Villanova, and Serena Williams. So basically, everyone you're talking about is just Drake. Well, it's because, like, let, let me explain further, okay? When you're talking to L.A. sports fans, a lot of them are transplants from us, elsewhere, just like us. Yep. And a lot of them are from places where there isn't the same sort of, like, four-team pro culture. So what happens is they either grow up and pick a teams from somewhere or whatever, or as adults, they decide that they want to be with, like, you know, they start rooting for a team of a significant other or whatever yeah. else. All these weird reasons. Yeah, your parents grew up in a city that was way cooler than the one you grew up in, and you take their team. However... So what happens is they're, like, talking crap about you because that's what you do to Boston fans. But they have allegiances across the nation with all these, like, front-runner teams from, like, the 90s or whatever from back when these teams were good or people who are really good now. And you're and you're looking like, okay, so you're looking down on me for liking a team in the place I grew up where everyone that ever, like, I ever spoke to, like, this they're team. They're just listening. And then you, you, then you unleash the Yankees and Cowboys on me? Like, you're not the worst? You're not even from New York or Texas. You're going to unleash the Yankees and Cowboys on me and then act like I'm the asshole for liking the Patriots? It's the craziest mentality of all time. And then they're like, yeah, but, like, Lakers, obviously, because, like, L.A. And you're like, dude, you're from Minnesota. Listen, Go away. Everyone lives in L.A. There's more basketball fans here than football fans, clearly. And if they're a football fan and they're under the age of 30, they don't remember when the Raiders were here. In the I'm early not even 80s. talking about people who are from uh, no, LA. I know, but I'm just saying, like you know, LA, LA, they're not a football. It's not a football town, you so know. Why so they're going to be adapted. Every it doesn't matter because that was in the 90s. My brother had a, had a Cowboys That's starter jacket. That's not my jacket. problem. My problem is that they're like, you can't be a Cowboys fan because you picked them when you were a kid, and then be like, ew, you're a Patriots fan. I, you can just shut up about it because you're a Cowboys fan, and no one likes them any more than they like Patriots fans, and we're on the same page. So shut up. <laughs> But, I are, mean, you done not, with, are you are you off your soapbox now? <laughs> but you know I'm not worked up about it. No, 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 you're not working up about anything. <laughs> okay. All right, so my my give me more and go away. I got to do a give me more. Listen, I haven't watched a minute of Game of Thrones. I think I watched maybe five minutes, and my friend was like, "Shh, shut up, shut up, shut up. You can't do it." I was like the little sister that got <laughs> no, yelled at yeah. every time she opened her mouth and asked a question, so I just kept my mouth shut, and I had no idea what was going on. But listen, I am thoroughly enjoying. The end of Game of Thrones. Because apparently, from all of my friends that watch and everyone on Twitter, it seems like the best season ever. And every episode gets better and better. And I mean, like, I know that Arya Stark killed someone who was evil. And it was, you know, it was <laughs> then she had a sexual relationship with someone who they wanted to. It was like sexual tension that they wanted to bone <laughs> for like seven seasons. And she's like, drop your pants. And, you know, and then, but then maybe like Jon Snow died. But then I asked someone, they're like, no, 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 she didn't kill Jon Snow. I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> I am amazing. loving, I am loving every spoiler for Game of Thrones. Give me more spoilers of Game of Thrones. Because I never plan on watching Game of Thrones, ever. This is actually one of the greatest takes I've ever heard on any podcast. And I'm not just saying that because it's ours. It is 
so funny because you're totally right. If you've never watched Game of Thrones. What's the point? And also listening to you recap how what you've learned about the show through what, spoilers is well, I could do this for two hours. Yeah, but you know what though? Did you hear my recap? It was pretty like I still have no idea what's going on. But like no, Arya like, now Arya so Stark funny. is like better, is cooler than Sophie Turner, who chugged the glass of wine at the Rangers game <laughs> with her jewel in her hands. I, I don't know. I think I'm bigger fans of the actual people now that they're like, you know, growing up like a little Harry Potter. Totally. Harry Potter crush. Totally. You know, everyone loved Daniel Radcliffe later. It was like, oh, he was a cute little kid. And then I see like, you know, when Sophie Turner and Maisie Williams, like when they started, they were just like, they were little, little kids. And now they're grown up and they're cool and they have personalities and... And they're, be- they're besties and they do cool bestie things on the internet. And they're yeah. Great. That whole cast has always been really good on social. So, like, yeah, like, you're not even a fan, but you know their names, you yep, know? exactly. So it makes a lot of sense. It's just, like, that's hilarious because there is something, something so, it's it's not something that you I get think- with, like, a lot of other things. You would never be able to converse like this about a show you'd never seen unless it was Game of Thrones. <sighs> Listen. You know? Give me more of all of the spoilers. I, I think that um, I'm finally getting to see Avengers Endgame tomorrow at 12.30 p.m. Really? And I have to say, I've avoided spoilers up until 12.30 p.m.? Listen, I don't know. Don't tell me any spoilers. I'm a very big... Marvel gal? I'm a very big Marvel gal. Okay. I'm an X-Men girl. Like, my dad used to take me out of school to go see all the Matrix movies and... You know, I, I'm a big sci-fi, Lord of the Rings, like... Ooh, okay, yeah. so we have... Yeah, no, no, no. So we have I like that. I want, I want to know nothing about this movie. So I'm going to stop right there. We're going to end the podcast, because hey, I don't no really spoiler, know. no spoiler zone here. Yep, exactly. All right, all right. next week, we'll hit you with... What, Episode NBA? 11. We don't know what's going to be in it, but all we know is it's <laughs> going to be two ones and a period next to it, my friend. So look forward to that. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. We won't let our listeners read no Roman numerals anymore. I promise. I promise. <laughs> Yay. Love you guys. Bye. Love you. Thanks. Bye. Tom Brady had nothing to do with it, but let me tell you something. If he did, he would have done the exact same thing because he's a <laughs> hero. I deflated those balls myself. Right? I did it. I'm the perpetrator. If you don't want to believe me, there's nothing I could say to change your mind. I'm turning myself in. My name's Ryan Salty Flanagan. I'm from Roslindale, Massachusetts. If you don't believe me, go f- yourself. I love you, touchdown, Tommy. It was totally me. I am the locker room guy. I am the locker room guy. I'm the locker room guy. I'm the locker room guy. I'm the locker room guy. Take a good look, America. I'm the locker room guy. Now leave Tom Brady alone. Tom Brady had nothing to do with this because he was too busy being awesome. Let me ask you a question, all right? Who are you going to believe? Tom Brady, the greatest man in all of humanity, or a bunch of on Twitter. Mm. The Elves of Justice have spoken.